Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, listeners. Welcome to I Was There Too, the show where I, Matt Gorley, talk to people present in the great scenes of cinema history. Their roles are sometimes small, but always significant. And today's episode, Collected Stories, Volume 3, is one of my favorites because it collects the greatest moments and anecdotes from the past 20 episodes. I like to do these every 20 or so shows because it's a great way for any new listeners to hear what this show is all about or any old listeners to relive some of my favorite moments and some of the listeners' favorite moments because I outsourced this whole selection process in the first place. But also, at the end of today's episode, we check back in with Starship One in a brand new segment where we discuss her actual audition for Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi and her real-time reaction of the trailer and some of the moments at Star Wars Celebration in Orlando where we get a sneak peek at what her role would have been had she been cast in that movie. It's not something you want to miss. Now, before we begin, just a bit of quick business. If you haven't already, please give I Was There Too a written review on iTunes. It helps with its visibility. And also, extra special announcement. For the next handful of episodes, I will be gone getting married and getting honeymooned. But in the interest of quality free entertainment, I didn't want this show to lie dormant while I was gone. So I've enlisted some of the best people from the podcasting world to sit in as guest hosts for this show. Many of which have already been recorded, I can tell you, include such great films as Ghostbusters, Ant-Man, all the Star Wars films, Rebel Without a Cause, and more. So stay tuned, stay subscribed. When next you hear me, I'll be back at I Was There Too with a married voice. It'll probably sound something like this, because I'm finally becoming a man. (laughs) Thank you for listening for these 60 episodes, and here's to 60 or so more. Who knows? Let's get started. Enjoy these memories we shared together. Bye. Chapter 1, Star Wars Stories, Part 1, with Anthony Forrest, a stormtrooper from Star Wars, Kevin Thompson, an Ewok from Return of the Jedi, and Larry Hyder, a cameraman from the Star Wars Holiday Special, all on the costumes from a galaxy far, far away, and their challenges. That's one of my favorite things about this film as opposed to the two that follow is I swear you can almost feel the just the drive in Lucas and what he was struggling against, even down to now this is going to get into the real minutia. But I noticed on your costume, there's one shot where you've got a big piece of black duct tape on the shoulder that then just disappears. And I don't know if do you remember why that was there? Was the suit falling apart or how? Yeah, it, it, it was falling apart. This is what I have to have. I noticed because I have to watch these scenes over and over and suddenly you see things pop out that you never would have before. Right, right. It's, it's um, you know, these costumes were, were not made for running around. <laughs> they, these are, you know, these, these are camera ready. And, and so it's, you're not necessarily going to go walking, you know, through the shopping mall in them or anything like that. It's, it's really down to the fact that they were props 
and the, uh, the work that was being done in Tunisia was really the first first line of props that were made. And so they hadn't really been battle tested. Right. So the stormtroopers are obviously dubbed for the final film. What was your back and forth like there on the day with Guinness? Did you have to shout through that horrible helmet or how did yeah. that work? Yeah, I was I – was, um, as you as you probably aware, you're going to do reverse camera roll angles and things like that. So yeah, I was shouting through the through the helmet, and then the when the when you do the reverses, you can actually take the helmet off because it's like over the shoulder or it's another angle, right? And so you can actually have a a proper vocal at that time, so you can actually hear each other. And one of the things when I first going back to the costume, when I first put the 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 bucket is is a lot of sand troopers uh, fans like to call it. Um, when I first put it, when I put it on, I couldn't see a thing. Uh, every time I, I turned left to look, uh, the the helmet went right. Every time I turned right, it went left. And so it was. I was like, I really felt a little bit like you know the bobblehead you get in the back of your car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt like one of those like bobblehead dogs in in the back of a car. And, and so I was a little bit. Uh, I was really just tra- – I was doing a couple of different things. Also, when they put the, 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 the backpack on, they, I, f- I felt almost – maybe they'd filled it with sand because I almost fell over backwards because I didn't – I hadn't gauged what it was like moving around in the costume. And so when they put it on, I was started rolling backwards, not, not onto the ground, but I could feel my, I could feel my body weight because I was in <laughs> sand at the time just being dra- pulled backwards. So there was, a, there was a lot of adjustment I was doing physically trying to understand how I could actually f- make this feel real. And, and not robotic. That we're running from stormtroopers. We're running from chicken walkers. We're running from, you know, this and that and there. We're running to get them. We're run, you know, a lot, after, after lunch, a lot of guys were like, you know what? I'm done. <laughs> well, there was a <laughs> well, revolt, gotta, right? You have a – you have a – some of these guys have inseams, you know, seven inches big. And you put an outfit. The outfit consisted of – a fat suit. Well, first we had baby blue pajamas that we put on, and then I it was a fat suit. Color. Yeah, I, it was, I had a lot of testosterone running with those baby blue pajamas. Um, but the the fat suit was basically uh, three pieces. It was two like pork, a pork chop piece that went on each leg and went down to your ankle, and then there was a fat suit that went over when your arms were all. It was all pieced together, kind of like a football uh-huh. outfit. And then you put the fur fur coat over that. Then you have latex gloves and latex feet and then a latex mask. So immediately the eyes, the plastic eyes would would fog up. So you have to look where you're going at at this whole thing of where, um, you know, where – what is my geography of where everything is. And so then um, if you didn't do that, you would run into each other. You would run into the thing. You could run off a cliff. You know, there's a lot – it could be very dangerous. You could run into a light. There's mortars that are being exploded. Right. So there was a lot of dangerous things going on. And there was only four stunt guys. They brought in two more stunt guys, three, three more stunt guys and um, to cover the, the other two that they had lost. But then a lot of those extras were doing a lot of work that was very so-called not quite a stunt, but we'll give you 20 bucks. Uh-huh. And so – and then they were working the long hours. And so when they looked at their paychecks, these guys went, hey, where's my overtime? Because they were – they thought they were working overtime. They said, oh, no, you signed a day contract. Uh-huh. And it's like, what do you mean a day contract? It's a, and it's eight hours in a day, then it's overtime. It's like, no, no, no. It's a 12-hour day. They were, and they're like, what's going on here? It's like, it's you, that's the contract. And these guys were, were like – they were film savvy. All these – all the little people knew each other. We had worked on another movie called Under the Rainbow. Right, with Carrie Fisher. Right. Yeah. And so we – knew each other so everybody ganged together and said you know what they need us more than we need them and nobody could hold out on that nobody could sit there and say they're going to be the one guy to say look I'm better so everybody got together and um, we'd we planned this uh, and we came in much earlier we snuck into the dressing rooms so when the when we came every day and on a bus and so they would come in and uh, see us and wave and all this and so in this time there was nobody on the bus and they're like well, where'd they go and they said we went to the airport we're done we're not getting overtime you know see you guys later 
And so they're like, oh, my gosh. Oh, and, and it was all Ewoks. All the, the heroes had gone home. And it was just going to be all the Ewoks for the next five weeks. And they're like, uh, what do you mean? It's like, you know, they said they're mad. They're, you guys, you're treating them. You're, we weren't being treated that. Well, I was because I was, a, I was a union stunt performer. I was on the other foot. I, was, I felt for, for my guys. But it's like, and then, then again, I'm getting paid much more than they are because I'm on a union contract. And they all know that. Mm-hmm. They all know they, they everybody had been union before, but on this they were not they were being non union extras. So you don't have a lot of pull for that. Right. But when you pull together, just like in a Bugs Life, all the ants pull together or Bugs Life or Ants Farm, whatever those one of those movies. Well they, all the little guys, they once, unionized on set. We unionized yeah. right then on set and so when they ran off to go run to the airport, we all jumped out of the um, dressing rooms and said, Revenge of the Ewoks. We had T-shirts and Revenge of the Ewoks. And they're like, ah, and we said, yeah, we got you right here. The things we did towards the end were like the big ending went with all the uh, the Wookiees are all on the mountaintop with all the... Oh, the, yeah, the, the Life Day celebration. Yes, the Life Day celebration. That, Which just that might have taken a few days ago. A couple lives to, to shoot <laughs> a single camera style. You know. now, I had read, too, about that, that there was literally no money in the budget for that set. Like, they almost forgot about it. Yeah. Whereas one day someone, I don't know if it was a production designer, said, what are we doing for the set on this? And someone else goes, oh, well, we don't have any money left. And yeah. it was like an afterthought. And smoke, so just, lots of yeah, smoke. smoke. Black void yeah. and robes. And then literally costumed all those Wookiees in like store-bought Don Post commercial Wookiee masks. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I mean, they were all – you should – they were – they're back, back to the camera, most of them, except for, you know, the, the main characters. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, at that point, we all just wanted to get this done, you know. <laughs> We had gone from oh boy to oh no. <laughs> yeah, what was that like? Your emotional arc over something like that? Was there a lot of chatter between takes between you and the other camera person? A lot of eye rolling, maybe. Yeah, but yeah. you know, it's like when you're working with someone, you you want to try to help. And yeah. part of our frustration is we couldn't help. You know, <laughs> right. it's like we things were too far off kilter for us to just jump in and say, you know, I think maybe if you do this or do that, there wasn't you know, that space to do that. Um, let's go through some of the specific segments in this uh, 90 minutes, over 90 minutes, really, without commercials. That's without commercials. Yeah, it was a two-hour two broadcast hours. event. Uh-huh. And I say event in the same way that some natural disasters are. <laughs> <laughs> um, so did, were you present? The one that always stuck out to me, and I'm not alone in this, is the Diane Carroll vision sequence that Chewie's father-in-law puts on. Is it his father-in-law or his natural father? Well, we'll get to the bottom of that later. <laughs> I think that's not important. He puts on this visualizer machine and she speaks to him in a very strange and erotic way. Mm-hmm. Were you present for the shooting? Oh, sure. And yeah. what was the what was the thinking in that? Was it ever spoken about? Um, you know, I think most of us, at least I felt that, wow, now here's something that we know how to do. You know, <laughs> yeah, we can, we can a, shoot a song, right, you know, yeah. that, that's pretty basic, you know, and she was beautiful. She yeah. had a, an amazing wardrobe. I mean, she that's was sure. just really awesomely beautiful. And uh, so it was eye candy for us. Yeah. So, yeah, it was like, oh, boy, now, now we know how to do this. Great. <laughs> You're looking on the bright side because <laughs> I think I would be going, what is the context of this? She's talking to a Wookiee. But now that I think, because I've done some other research and I had read originally that According to co-writer Leonard Rips, Lucas told him that Han Solo was married to a Wookiee, but that we they couldn't mention that because it would be controversial. So to see the scene with Diane Carroll kind of very sensually romancing an elderly Wookiee <laughs> starts to make a lot of sense. And I'm wondering what Lucas's secret agenda might have been. Chapter 2, Auditioning, Character, and Being a Diva with Clancy Brown from The Shawshank Redemption. Tom Wilson from the Back to the Future trilogy, and Jimmy Pardo from Dreamgirls. How did you end up in the role? That's a great question. (laughs) How does anybody end up in the role? Because it was singly the worst audition I ever gave. um, Why do you say that? Well, Deb Aquila still laughs about it. And... uh, I read it and it just, I just, I just loved it. Everybody loved it, and I wanted to play that. And they wanted me to maybe play that or Boggs. And I said, I, you know, I want to do, I want to do Hadley. That's the role. And uh, so I had to do this scene where I'm 
I talked about, you know, you shit when I say you shit, you, you eat when we say you eat and all that stuff. And I had to deliver it to Deb. And Deb is this very sweet, at that time we were both very young, we were a sweet young casting director. She was dressed in something very colorful and frilly and <laughs> she smelled nice and I had to like look down at her and I could not get these lines out. I just, and I looked at Frank and I said, I, I would start them and I... I just looked and I said, I can't say this shit to you. I can't say it. I can't. I said, I, Frank, I know how to do this. I know how to do it to a big, ugly inmate, but I can't, I can't do it to Deb. She's, she smells too good. You know? And so I was just left there knowing that I didn't get the gig and I was bumming out. But I was also getting married that summer, so it wasn't like, eh, you know, that's one problem I don't have to deal with. How am I going to do the movie and get married? Because I just blew this audition, so I don't have to worry about that. And then uh, apparently they just got such a kick out of that that. Well, they saw a softer side of Hadley that. I guess uh, you know Frank put it. He said, you know, we had a lot of people come in, and uh, that's a real asshole role. And but the fact was, we were going to be in Ohio for you know three months, all of us together, and we didn't really want to be in Ohio with Captain Hadley, <laughs> <laughs> with the real Captain Hadley. <laughs> the logic. We to wouldn't that. be able to get along with you know and you you, know, you seemed like you would be a fun guy to do a movie with so they didn't hire me for my acting job well <laughs> I think <that laughs> basically seems like basically what Frank was telling me there as an actor did you draw on any of those experiences you might have had because I also read that in the Hollywood Reporter I believe where you had mentioned having some issues with being bullied yourself I was and bullied then, uh, relentlessly and then playing a bully when I was young yeah how did that factor in well it the first time we auditioned together, sometimes you'll go um, – we went to over to Universal Studios in order to audition for this movie, Back to the Future. Steven Spielberg's producing, Robert Zemeckis is directing and everything. And you just get paired up with people. They'll just put you with Bob. OK, you guys go out and rehearse this scene and then come back in and, and read it for us. And right off the bat, the first person that I was paired up with was Crispin. Uh. <laughs> so – uh, this is, you know, this is the first time I'd ever uh, played a bully in anything, and we go outside with the scripts. Okay, let's let's do this. And, and I said, "Well, how would this sound?" Okay, let's look at this. And I go, uh, "Hey, McFly, did you do the homework? Whatever." And and Crispin, in a in a flash, changed into this. You know, kind of querulous, uh, like a physical question mark, <laughs> bending his back. Physically and, and figuratively. Fi- yes, yeah. figuratively. And, <laughs> I just, oh, oh, oh Bev. I just, and um, it, was, it was like looking at myself oh. in the fifth grade or sixth grade. And I stopped. I couldn't continue to see. I, like, I just stopped staring at him. Because it was like something he channeled me from many years ago. And he stopped then and said, is everything all right? Uh, yeah, 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 everything's fine. And then, and then we did it again where I said, hey, it's acting. It's acting. Just pretend this. He's, I'm a bully and he's, and he's the guy being bullied and that's, that's the way it is. Um, b- but yes, it was, uh, it was difficult for me to internalize any of that stuff. And honestly, honestly, I didn't, uh, you know, sometimes as an actor, it is important to really internalize a scene in order to make it authentic. Uh, But I didn't internalize much of that. That was actual flat out acting. Uh Because like in the scene with, um, in the scene with Leah Thompson in the car, when, you know, I thought, at one point, I, the, the scene was written and we're in a car and something's going on. And that's okay. But I thought at one point, because I had seen bullies in my life and I'd stared them in the face and I didn't find them funny, you know, I didn't find it the least bit funny or entertaining at all. They're mean. There is a seed of evil in them that enjoys doing that to people. And I thought that. The movie had to have a moment like that, not just I get out, oh, what do you want me to fly? And he punches me. It has to have a turn. I know exactly what you're talking about. It has to have a turn. Your tone is low and even. Where the tone, right. Yeah. Where the tone, he opens the car door and you think this is a totally different thing. 
this is not a guy just pushing around his dad. You know, this is not – this isn't just the bully at the cafe. Mm-hmm. Something bad is happening. And so, you know, the hero of the movie, do you do something or do you not do anything? And that's – that the movie to me is not even me getting punched. The movie is him saying, no, Biff, you leave her alone. That's the whole movie. And again, based on my experience at Dreamgirls, I'm going to be able to answer a lot of this. Okay, well, here's one. See, I don't exactly know who was involved in your scene actor-wise, but I have here. Bill Condon reportedly instructed Jennifer Hudson to show up late on set every day to better understand Effie's diva behavior. Can you confirm that? You know what? I can't. I cannot confirm that aspect, but I, what I can tell you is that um, I, because of that— uh, I thought that Jennifer Hudson was kind of a diva up until maybe, and I'm not joking, a month ago when somebody interviewed her and I said, how is Jennifer Hudson? And they went, she's the nicest person in the world. She's down to earth. She's great. She's wonderful. I was like, boy, that wasn't my experience. Oh my and God. it was because of that. Uh, like Beyonce could not have been nicer. Um, uh, uh, Annika uh, yeah. uh, could not have been nicer. Uh, we were all in the dressing, uh, in the makeup uh, trailer together. And, um, and uh, Jennifer was, was staying on. And I, and I chalked it up to, um, it's her first major movie. She, it's a major movie. She carries the movie. She, maybe she just, uh, doesn't want to be playful and fun. Maybe, right. although it was Beyonce's first movie too. And I say that, but, uh, maybe she was nervous or whatever. So I chalked it up to that. Not that she was unpleasant or, uh, but just, uh, standoffish. Yeah. I, I, I would – that would be my worst nightmare to be first time in a film and have the director tell you to do this thing. So you want to please the director, but you know that that will cost how you're treating the other people on yeah. the set and I would just quit. It would you, – you would actually walk off. I would walk off as – it would seem like I was a diva, but I would just – I don't have it in my heart to do that, you know, like to be standoffish to people. Well, on I'll tell you what set. though. It paid off. She got it at what they call an Oscar for it. Well, that's why I haven't won an Oscar. In fact, don't really do that much in the first place, <laughs> I think. <laughs> Chapter 3, Wristwatches and Helicopters, with Stephen D'Souza from Die Hard and Mark Evan Jackson from Kong Skull Island. One of the things that drove us crazy is the way the movie is set up uh, is that Bruce really can't get fall in hate with uh, Hans because if they meet, they'll kill them. So it was driving us crazy. And as we're shooting Joel Silver's, we got to have him fall in hate. We got to have him fall in hate. How do we do it? So one day on the set, when our tea lady comes around uh, for the snacks, someone says to, um, to Alan Rickman, Alan, a lot of the uh, you know, UK actors do an American accent. Do you do an American accent? And he said, well, I don't know if I do an American accent per se, but I do, you know, like a California one. So everybody cracks up, and I go, oh, my God, that's it. And I go, and I grab Joel Silver, and I go, listen, listen, listen. And he says, so what? I said, if he, he's just a voice on the radio. He can mind fuck Bruce. He can meet Bruce. And then we, Tom McKiernan comes over, and John is a very meticulous planner. He actually went to AFI as a writer, uh, not a director. So he, and he, he goes, uh, no, no, he sees him kill Tagagi. And I said, well, when do you shoot that? And the first AD says, we shoot that tomorrow. <laughs> and I said, can you shoot that in a manner in which he doesn't see him? And he says, I'm not going to do the over-the-head fake thing. I said, it's got to be a plausible way. So we go over to the set, and John goes around like, you know, this with the hand, you know. And finally he says, all right, this big table with a giant solid leg, if we move it over there, I can stage it. Great, great. He says, no, not great. You've got to go right the scene. So they throw somebody out of the nearest office to the soundstage, and they give me a typewriter. By this time, I'm on a computer, so I'm, oh, carriage return. So I go write this scene in about, like, three hours, and I bring it back. It's okay, it's in the movie, and that's how that famous scene where he gets me. But everybody says to me, how does Bruce know he's not a hostage? And people come up to me and go, I know, I know. It's because he offers him one of those foreign cigarettes, and he accepts it, and no American would accept a foreign cigarette. And somebody says, oh, because the weight of the gun is different with the, with the magazine that's empty, but no, that's before he gives him the, you know, how does he know? Here's how he knows. Originally, when they get off the truck at the beginning of the movie, they, you know, dan, 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 dan. and by the way, nobody gets killed in this movie for the first 20 minutes. So, I mean, it's a lot of restraint for a movie nowadays. <laughs> right, so the truck pulls in, and the terrorists get off, and they walk towards the camera very dramatically, and they go into the building. Originally, they walked off the truck, 
And they came out, and the camera craned up, and you saw them in a circle, and Alan Rickman said in German, synchronize your watches. And they all put their arms out in a circle with the camera going down, like a Hitchcock shot, and they all went, peep. They all, and they all had the same tag, your watch. Now, if you notice, the first guy that Bruce kills, almost by accident, rolling down the steps, he searches the body, he looks at the, at the IDs, right? He steals the cigarettes, which is a laugh. He goes like this. And then he looks at the watch, which gets another laugh because you're thinking that he might be stealing the watch. But as he kills each guy, he notices they all have the same watch. Now, you remember the scene in the movie, he talks to the cop outside, Dwayne Robinson, and he says, I think these guys are professionals. Their IDs are too good. There's no labels in their clothes. And they all have the same watch that was in the movie. I think he'd just be a bartender. Now, here's what happened, right? As we're making the movie, the one thing we had not figured out was how are they going to get away with it? We have a line of dialogue where he says, well, if they think you're alive, they pursue you, but if they think you're dead, you, could, you, know, you can escape. So we had that line of dialogue, but how are they getting away? So we're down to like, like eight days of filming left on the movie, and we still have to say we got to explain how they were going to get away. You, so, you have not figured this out at this no, point? No, no, no. So finally I say... I, I almost am, don't want to hear that this so, film was so, left to the, down no, to the so wire. Finally I say, listen... I, I, I'm going to rip myself off. I did a, a TV movie pilot two years ago that aired once. Nobody's seen it. It'll never be on home video called Will Eisner's The Spirit. It was, a, it was before the, 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 the Frank, Frank Miller's Will Eisner's Spirit. And in that, the villain, if you know the comic book, who was, um, uh, what was her name? What? Somebody must know it here. Um, I forget her name. Anyway, she was an arch villain, a very sexy villain. She was so evil, she was going to blow up a children's hospital and escape in a fake ambulance. So I said, let's do that again. Right. And no, nobody saw it. Nobody remembered we did it. Since then, it came out on home video, and it's called Folly. Anyway, uh, so we say, that's it, that's it. And we shoot the scene at the end of the movie where Argyle's in the basement, and then he sees the, one of the handful of terrorists has been killed, roll the ambulance out, and he knocks him out. Now we have the first cut of the movie. We're watching this, a handful of people. There's John McKiernan, studio executives, uh, my wife and I, uh, 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 Joel Silver. We're watching the movie. It's all working, temporary music, a couple of shots missing, dun, dun, dun. and then they get off the truck, and we go, oh, shit. Because while they're standing there saying, synchronize your watches, you see there's no ambulance in the truck. Because we hadn't thought of that when we shot it. So now John says to the editor, get the scissors in there, cut, at the cut as soon as you can when they get off the truck so we don't see there's no ambulance. But now, without synchronizing your watches, all of these moments where Bruce looks at each guy's watch makes no sense. So if you see the movie again on cable or Blu-ray, when they get off the truck, look, don't look at them, look in the truck, and you'll see, as for a split second, there's no ambulance. And when Bruce offers... Uh, the cigar, a cigarette to Alan Rickman, Bruce sees the watch. You see his eyes totally look at the watch. And that's how he knows that he is one of the terrorists. Wow. <laughs> Funny. So, when you say it's horrifying to ride in a Huey, yeah. it's just mortal danger or the motion effects, all of it? No, you, you are like, hmm, they know we're out here, right? Like <laughs> they've seen Twilight, being, they, so, right. right? Yeah, they've heard of Twilight Zone. So. Um, but the uh, you know, tons can go wrong. These guys are really, really good at it. We um, we landed a few times, and then we would shoot the scene. So it wasn't just our helicopters either. We had uh, camera helicopters yeah. um, that were flying around and uh, and you know shooting the movie, obviously, um, from dynamic perspectives. And at one point. The camera helicopter, we were on the ground and we're, you know, playing the scene of unloading the gear and getting it all set up or whatever. And a camera helicopter, an A-Star, came on its nose. Like if it flies like this normally. He's holding a cup. I'm holding a pint glass. Now I'm holding it vertically. So Uh picture this as the cockpit and this is the tail. Okay. And it, it was about... I don't know, 60, treetop level, maybe 50 yards that way. And it went from 50 yards that way to 50 yards that way in this much time. Vertical. Yeah. Pointing right at us. And it went, and then flew away. And 
I'm sure they didn't use much of that shot because I know for sure John Ortiz and I were looking dead down the barrel of that camera, convinced <laughs> that that copter was going to crash. So we're watching it going like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then it just flew away and, and went back to one to, to keep shooting the movie. And they were like, OK, going again, going again. And we jumped back in our Huey and Corey Hawkins and, and John Ortiz and I are like, did you see that? Like, I was certain that was crashing. That was nuts. It was on its nose right at treetop level. And it must have been moving 80 knots, 90 knots. Like, it was crazy what just happened. And Javier, one of our pilots, turned around and goes, that's nothing. And he's like, oh, man. Like, don't prove it. Yeah. Don't. You don't owe us that. Just feel like something else is coming when yeah. he says that. They're like, that's nothing. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, these guys are good at it. And I guess you have to have a certain, you know, like, it's like being a surgeon. Like, you have to have a certain confidence if you're going to, yeah. if you're going to, you know, go up in a heavier than air aircraft that doesn't glide. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Chapter 4, Off Topic, Cats and Squibs with Mark Marin and me, Matt Gorley, who realized his lifelong dream of being squibbed for the 50th episode of this podcast. But anyway, so Fonda was sick, so I bring her in when I brought Buster in, and then I'm like, I'm not in a good place with vets right now, and, and uh, like, you know, no, the cat doesn't need rust proofing. You, you know, like, it's like... <laughs> I know, they, they want to upsell you on everything. Dude! Yeah. What the fuck is that? Know. It's predatory. Can I recommend you my vet with the worst name ever? Pet Sedina. <laughs> I've been going to the same vet. I might. But I've been going to this guy for years. And I don't know why I keep going. Because, like, you're, you got, you're walking in. Like, how, what kind of person, you know, I'm walking in with a sick animal. And this guy's going like, <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> Like, I bring these cats to the vet, and they have to gas them just to look at them because they're like, no, no. Like, monkey, uh, every time, will shit in the fucking cage. Like, right when I put him in, it's like, and I'm like, okay, great. Happened on an airplane, no matter what. So, but like, I brought him in, and he had shit in the cage, and I cleaned it out, and I put it in a paper towel, and the doctor walked in. I'm like, I got a stool sample if you're going to need a (laughs) stool sample. (laughs) Beat you. Well, what this is maybe heading to is uh, Mark and I were once guests on a podcast that never happened called Cat Talk, hosted by Michael Showalter. And uh, I feel like I want you, let's take it from him and do a Cat Talk podcast. I I don't, like, like, I'm not ready to be that out. (laughs) What? You are the poster boy for this. You're out. But but I'm still reluctant. Like, you know, like, for me to admit that, like, I, like, like, because I felt it in my own heart. Like, you know, no. it's like when I got, because, like, no, with me, no, it's sort of like. No, this is your Stonewall riot. Come out. <laughs> well, well, what happens with me is sort of like, well, I got to accept that they're getting old and that they're going to get sick and that, you know, I'm oh, probably yeah. going to have to put them down at some point. Oh, that's not a good And, time. like, I tried to sort of just sort of like, no, oh, they're animals. You know, yeah. I love them, but, you know, they don't last forever. And, you know, but then, like, I get fond of home, and I'm like, oh, okay. You know, and, I, and I'm sitting there sleeping with her. I'm like, you okay? You okay? You yeah. know, and I'm like, and I got to live with that. I know. I know. That's why I'm saying I, I understand what you're going through. Yeah. But I can stuff that down. We'll and- see. <laughs> <laughs> you, you look totally relaxed right now. <laughs> Let me ask. I don't want to do this. <laughs> okay, so we are really like a couple of minutes away now. Oh, Christ. <laughs> All I have to do is turn this on and arm it, and I'm ready to okay. fire. All right. Um, uh, I guess tell my fiance I'll be home soon. Because this is safe. Should, yes. <laughs> Most of the mess is going to be on you. <laughs> uh, yeah, Good. Yeah. All right. So, guts all around, goodbye. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And then guts all around. Goodbye. To this how do you act when you're wired? Act until you make it. <laughs> is that the gun Paul shooting? Is that have like the kickback and velocity of like a real gun? I don't know. I think it depends on what load of blanks oh, that he yeah. is. Because are you can... shooting blanks at you? Not now. Oh. Then we'll, after this, we'll shoot a take of him shooting the gun. You ready? Rolling sound two. 
Okay. Thank you. Okay, the pyro is armed. All right, Jay, whenever you're ready, call us action. Standing by. Hot set! <laughs> okay, and action. There he is. Get him, boss! You don't have the guts, Dr. Leffingwell. No, I have the guts, all right. They start on my tummy and go all the way to my fingertips for pulling triggers. Then we'll see your guts, gross. Guts all around! Goodbye! Chapter 5, Star Wars Stories, Part 2, with Ahmed Best from the prequel trilogy, Clive Revel from Empire Strikes Back, and Lauren Lapkus on The Emperor of the Galaxy, The King of Pop, and what it's like to audition for Star Wars Episode 8, The Last Jedi. There is a great disturbance in the Force, and those seven or eight words were the voice of the emperor. And did they show you any kind of physical representation of what he would look like at that point? No, the representation representation was somewhat shadowy, sort of mystical. Mm -hmm. It couldn't be like a human being, like we're sitting across this microphone now. It could be... Now, we all had, we've all had dreams, right? Everybody's had a dream. Some people have a, had a, a nightmare, which is, you can't put any context into it. It's just abstract. It It was abstract. It came and went. And that is, in fact, what was used in The Empire Strikes Back. So do you mean by that originally, because it's your voice, it's a woman's face with makeup on, and then chimpanzee eyes yeah. superimposed on that. And, yeah. and those three elements give it a sort of otherworldliness that you're kind of talking about. That right? is absolutely correct, yes. Interesting. When I've done these um, things that you go to, you know, the... the uh, oh, a convention or something? Convention. Yeah. And, and people get a bit, oh, well, what do you think? We better get that. You know, well, you're the voice of the emperor, huh? Yes, yes. <laughs> and I've had several people, I've had them... Come and they get just a little bit, as we say, narky. They're getting just a bit, little bit, and they think they know everything. I said, I said Would you come behind with the microphone, <laughs> behind the desk? And I said, There it is, it's on paper. That's what the voice, the, the emperor looks like shadowy, shadowy, shadowy. And I said, I want you to just stand just across the microphone and close your eyes and think about it. Oh, yeah, all right, there you are. Okay, fine. And I go to the microphone and I say, There is a great disturbance in the force. I've had people damn near drop down, (laughs) faint, because what you're doing is bringing an element of reality, but non-reality, into this thing that they have given part of their life, which may have been two years, ten minutes, and they're standing next to this thing with their eyes shut and listening to this thing. Let me, let me give it a go. Give it to me one more time. Let me shut my eyes. There is a great disturbance in the force. <laughs> that reminds me of the time I, I interviewed the woman who plays the face of the demon in The Exorcist. Yeah. And there were times when she would make that expression and you, you do get a little bit of a chill. Yeah. Well, yes, because that's what, uh, you know, that's what uh, the story is. Any story. Once upon a time, there were three bears. <laughs> there was Papa Bear, Mama Bear, and Baby Bear. And they all lived in the forest. And that's what we as, uh, as parents have told children and have, have, ha- have had our own parents tell us the story of Grandpa and Grandma. Tell us those stories. Once upon a time, there were three bears, Mama Bear, Papa Bear, and Baby Bear. 
now I can say I've had the emperor tell me the three bears story. I can check that off. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number two, according to Ahmet Best in a Rolling Stone article, Michael Jackson campaigned for the role of Jar Jar Binks, but George Lucas decided against casting him because his star status would, quote, compromise the film. At one point, Lucas took Best and Natalie Portman backstage at a concert and introduced Best to Jackson to gain the singer's approval. Yes. Really? Yeah, that was a weird day. I've heard this rumor before about Jackson, but all right, go ahead. Well, so we go to the Michael Jackson concert at Wembley, and it's me, Natalie, George's kids, and George. And we're sitting in the prince's box, right, the, the royal box in Wembley Arena. And I'm probably a bigger Michael Jackson fan than I am a Star Wars fan. Okay. You know, yeah. I grew up with Michael Jackson and the Jackson 5 and then, you know, doing all the moves, the moonwalk, all the shit. So going to this concert was a big deal for me, you know. So I'm freaking out. Me and Natalie are just bananas because we're both huge Michael Jackson fans. So this dude comes out of nowhere in the prince's box, right? And he goes, follow me. <laughs> so George is like, all right, come on, guys. And there's a secret passageway behind the royal box in Wembley that takes you backstage. Good to know. Right. So we're walking through these like very small, this very small stairway, and we end up backstage at the Michael Jackson concert. And it's exactly what you'd imagine. There are people passed out on gurneys from like, oh, Jesus Christ, Michael Jackson. And they're all like in a row, just, you know, suffering from dehydration and love of Michael Jackson. And then we go even further backstage. And there's Catherine, his mom, and she's, like, coordinating stuff. And then, you know, the creepy guy who pulls us downstairs points to this curtained-off area. And Michael's in the curtain, and he goes, go in there. Like, Michael wants to say, what's up? So we go in, and Michael puts his hand out. I shake his hand. And George comes in and shakes his hand. He doesn't speak, Michael, right? And so we're like, all right, we'll see you, like, later or he after the show. Say he doesn't say a word. He's just looking at He's you. He's like, puts his hand up. Oh. Right. So Michael runs back on stage and we're backstage like watching the last two numbers that he's doing. And, you know, I think Wembley Arena is like 80,000 people. And Michael Jackson's not a big dude. He's like 5'10", maybe. He he was kind of skinny. But he had 80,000 people in the palm of his hand. And I was just watching him just control the stadium. It was phenomenal. So, you know, his last song is Heal the World. And there's like, 30 kids that come out they sing Heal the World with him, right? And then Michael disappears at the end into a trap door and is gone. And I was like, well, that was great. You know, let's go get a drink. If it ends here, I'm cool. If it ends here, I'm good. You know, I shook Michael's hand, right? Creepy guy comes back. Michael wants to see you, right? <laughs> So we walk outside. Fascinated by this creepy guy. Yeah, he's, I don't know who he was. He was just like, and he just appears out of nowhere, you know? He's like, Michael wants to see you. And so we walk down, and there's um, just a fleet of Toyota minivans, right? And so me, George, Natalie, George's kids, we're all standing. And then the door opens, and Michael steps out of this minivan. And in the minivan is like 15 kids and Lisa Marie Presley, right? So it was this when he was married to her? This was after, after he was married. Sure. After. So <laughs> Lisa Marie's in the truck. And I look at Natalie like, oh, snap, Lisa Marie's in the truck, right? And so I look at Lisa Marie and Lisa Marie kind of gives me the what's up now. <laughs> and I was like, is Lisa Marie like, she, she trying to get some right now? Like, is she giving me the what's up, right? So I give her the what's up, but I don't want Michael to see me giving Lisa Marie the what's up, <laughs> you know? So Lisa Marie's like, what up? And I'm like, what's up, Lisa? Like, where are we going with this shit, All right? Michael comes out. He has the captain's jacket on. He has the surgical mask, and he's wearing the fedora, right? And he's like, oh, yeah, guys, thanks for coming to my show. I really appreciate it. And George is like, oh, man. And we're like, I don't even know if I'm saying words. I'm just like, hey, blah, 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 blah. you know, this is birds. And so... <laughs> George is like, remember my kids? He introduces his kids. And Michael's like, yeah, remember I used to play with you guys as babies, blah, 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 all right. And they're like, yeah, yeah. And he goes, this is Natalie. And he's like, oh, yeah, I know, Natalie, nice to meet you. And then he goes, and this is Ahmed, also known as Jar Jar. And then Michael goes like this, oh, 
and all the air gets sucked out of the atmosphere, right? And I was like, uh, that's weird, right? So did you know at this point that he had been campaigning for this? No idea. Okay. Oh, and then Michael goes, oh, okay, well, I'm staying, blah, 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 George, if you want to meet up and such and such and blah, you know, and George is like, yeah, yeah, okay, call you. He jumps in the minivan full of children and Lisa Marie and drives away. And um, and then we go, okay, let's go. There was an after party going on. And I was like, okay, let's go get a drink. So we go to the bar. And that O was sticking with me. I was like, what was that? That was so weird. You know, and why introduce me as Jar Jar? And I was like, you know. So I go, George, I got to ask you a question. Like, what was that about, like, with you and Michael? Like, that was weird. And he was like, well, Michael wanted to play Jar Jar. And I froze. And I was like, well, why did, why not? Like, why didn't you do that? And he was like, well, two reasons. Michael wanted to do it with prosthetics. Like, he wanted to do the full-on thriller shit with the makeup and the da-da-da. And George was like, I don't want to do that. I wanted to try this, you know, CGI thing, you know, because I think the CGI thing is going to be a big deal. So I want to see if that works. And he said, also, you know, the movie would be about Michael Jackson. It won't be about the story. And I want the movies to be about the story and not about Michael Jackson. And I was like, what? You mean I beat Michael Jackson out for a job? (laughs) He's like, yeah. And for his lady, it seems. Yeah, right? See, that ever talked to her? That's a regret. <laughs> I should have jumped in on Lisa Marie. I mean, that that's is a regret. pop royalty on both sides. There. Yeah, no, it was weird, right? The king of pop and the king of rock and roll. Yeah. Oh, my God. I know, right? I could kick myself for not getting Lisa Marie's digits. <laughs> it's never too late. He's gone from an independent film to Jurassic Park to now the... Star Wars Episode Nine. I know, yeah. Can He's... we get you in that? No, man. No? It's too late. Why is it too late? I think it's already going. No, that's eight going. He's oh, doing it's eight. Nine. Oh, I auditioned for eight. You yeah. <laughs> you did? Yeah. For, can you say for what role? No, and it was, I think it was a fake thing anyway, like what they used for the audition. I, don't I think had a it was... friend that did, was it like a fake bounty hunter kind of role or something like it that? Was or a some, scoundrel something, lady? I was on the hunt for something, but I don't, I wouldn't even know if I would call it bounty hunting, but like it was just like, I think it was just completely fake. I think they were just like, this isn't related. You mean to, like you were a smokescreen audition? To oh no, I mean I think the audition was real, but I think yeah. none, nothing on the page was right. But real. who do you think the role they were looking at? You oh, for I don't Ray? know. Yeah. I don't even know. I've never seen any of that. You haven't seen Force Awakens, <laughs> <laughs> and I won't. Thank you very much. No, you haven't seen. I'd it? love to be in almost anything, but I haven't seen it. Well, I recommend you rent out one of these earwolf closets and yeah. just bring your laptop and check it out. Oh, now I'm so curious. Yeah, I don't know. I could try to go back and figure out what it was, but I think they even like gave us the sides in person, and then you couldn't take it with you, and it also wasn't what was really in the movie. Did you audition for J.J. Abrams? No, it was like the casting director. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Oh, I'm so yeah. so curious. That was now. an exciting audition to get. Yeah. Was it, were you quite nervous for something like that? I was nervous. Well, it was like a stressful day because my dad had been visiting and then (laughs) I dropped him at the airport. And while I was at the audition, he said his flight was the next day or something. You know, it was like some whole No, so he was just sitting there until you were done? Yeah, then I had to go back to the airport and get it. He like went to the, I dropped him in the airport, went to my audition, then went back to the airport and then got him. And it was just like, oh no, actually what had happened was he bought his ticket. They couldn't find his ticket in the system. And it turns out he had, like, spelled his name wrong, and the woman, like, refused to think that it could be him. Was and, he like, texting you these things while you were preparing at the end? Yeah, but I turned my phone off because I was, like, getting – it was getting to a point where it was just like, I can't think about that at all. <laughs> You'll be fine. <laughs> Very stressful. Chapter 6. Checking back in with Starship One, an anonymous guest that also auditioned for Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi – but wishes not to be revealed. And for that reason, we've disguised her voice and face, even though this is a podcast. Well, I'm back with the infamous Starship One because the teaser trailer for Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi has finally dropped. This was the film that you, Starship One, auditioned for and wouldn't tell us a 
goddamn thing about. And I thought maybe we could watch the trailer. You haven't seen it, correct? I have not seen it, Matt. Let's watch the trailer, and maybe you can, in real time, give us your reaction to the things you're seeing. And if something jumps out at you that looks familiar in any way from the uh, piece that you used for your audition that they gave you, feel free to tell us anything you can about that as well. Well, like I said, Matt, it I auditioned for it um, in Marina Del Rey, and uh, it was upstairs. I had to go up a flight of stairs to get to the audition room. That may be a new element of information. Yeah? Yeah. Nothing to do with Star Wars still, but... Um, and, uh, yeah, so if any, you know, if anything else pops up at me, but like I said, I did sign an NDA, and, uh, you know, I do maybe want to be considered for for the next film, so I don't want to give anything away. Okay. And for you laymen out there, an NDA is a non-disclosure agreement. Here we go. This is the teaser trailer for Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. Say whatever you'd like. Okay. All right. Well, this wasn't in the audition, that's for sure. This just looks like space, but... It's stone. Okay. If we see anyone in tuxedos or dress really well, then I'll know that this, that, that was, let's see. Now that's just Luke saying breathe. Okay. And then ex- describe what you see. Oh, it's a beach. It's a, it's a, uh, now it's just darkness. And now it's mountains. Um. A cliff. <laughs> stones. What do you see? Blackness. Who do you think that is? Um, that's Princess Leia. Right. Whose mask is that? That's Darth Maul. No, that's Kylo Ren. Uh, Adam Drivers? What about these books coming out of a log? They have... A map. Okay. So much bigger. Now there's someone just... Wow. Yeah, it's... Ray is training to be a Jedi. Uh-oh. Okay, so now this, I don't... Okay. Okay, well, say what you see. <laughs> okay, so now there's a spaceship, and now there's running. Not just any spaceship. And Kylo running. Kylo running. Kylo running, yeah. And now, now here's what I don't get, though. The Jedi. Listen to this. The end. Wait, Luke said it's time for the Jedi to end? That's right. Why? We don't know. Well, that wasn't in... Okay, so let me just... I got the really milk in that, huh? (laughs) So, let me just... Now, hold on a minute. Yes. Because in mine... Now, the girl who got my role was not in the trailer. And I'll be the first to, to point out that if I would have gotten that role and I wasn't in the trailer, I'd have something to say. Do you know who the girl is that got your role? Uh, I don't know her, but I I, uh, I I don't know her name, but I know she's a Asian girl. Oh, she's a funny she's a funny girl. This she's... is the part of Rose. Well, who's that? Did was Rose the name of the no, character you auditioned? I with? don't think so. She's like a mechanic on in the resistance base. Okay, can you tell me more? That's all I know, and that I. Uh, How do you know? Because uh, the director, Ryan Johnson, talked about her at the celebration panel. What about her? He said that she's just a great character and the actress is, well, I don't want to say what he said about the actress. I don't want to hurt your feelings. Could you he just, just liked her. Could you just say what he said, please? Well, he said she's no Starship One. What did he say? Did he say she blew everyone else out of the water or something like that? What did he say? Uh, I get, first of all, she's very much a different type from you. She's very, um, like b- bubbly and overly, uh, happy. <laughs> this is crazy. What did he say about her? Do you want to want to see that? Yes, I would like to watch that because it, to, to think that it was that hands down, well, it had to be her. I've never gone into an audition where someone went hands down. She's the one. Yeah. Call, cancel the rest of my appointments for the day. I got to lay down. She blew me out of the water. <laughs> 
well, is she on this panel too? Yeah. So she got to go to a fun celebration too, huh? Right. And what's Josh Gad doing? He's the host. We find oh, out more about God. Finn. We know okay, that here we go. comes back. Are there any new characters from The Last Jedi that you care to tell us about today, Ryan? There might be a few. Oh, God. There's a, the we have a couple really fun it. new characters coming out, and uh, a few of whom I'm really excited to introduce you guys to, but one in particular oh, who's here today, um, who has the biggest new part what? in the movie, and ironically is played by the smallest actor. Uh, well, she is we one of my favorite people. You guys are going to love her so much. I adore her, and I'm so proud and happy to introduce to all of you uh, Kelly Marie Tran. Was Ryan Johnson in your audition? No, he wasn't in my audition. He couldn't have been. He couldn't have. He didn't get anywhere near there. Well, that now hold on. She's got the biggest role. Not the biggest role. She's like one of the new big new characters. It's her and Laura Dern. She got to work with Laura Dern. Well, I don't know if she did, but Laura Dern's in the film. Whoa! Crazy. Right? Hello. Crazy. I'm sorry about teasing you before that there were only going to be ten people in the audience. Yeah, I you feel lied bad to about me, that Josh. Yes. I could have so had Kelly, that kind of repertoire with your Josh Gash. I understand. You were in London last year. Tell me about that. <laughs> yeah, I came to Celebration last year. I was sporting my Finn t-shirt. Wait a minute. See, this is when uh, I go I like, and not nothing to do with her. I don't like it when people's dreams come true. Because mine never do. And first, I want to be like, I was here last year, and I was just... So, when you were cast... So, she's saying that she was a, a fan. Basically. Yes! I'm pausing it, because you don't want to see any more of that. No! Well, well, yeah, she's saying she's a fan. It's like, I can't imagine. I can't imagine me being like, oh, I love Star Wars so much, and then getting the part... What would that be for you? What would be the thing you love the most that you then got a part of? I would say, if someone said, hey, you're, uh, which, you know, uh, we don't even have to audition, but we're, we're offering you the role of Elizabeth Bennett. Who's that? In Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> well, I'd say, God, my, no, yeah, it could happen. It could happen to all of us. And you know who gets to do it? A select few. Give me your English accent version of that role. Just a little couple lines. Hello, Mr. Darcy. It's me, Elizabeth Bennett. Wow. With this voice modulator on there, I think we've got a whole new way to attack my this sister, franchise. My sisters and I, my, my sisters and I love to go to parties. Not me, though. I like to read. Well, Starship One. This is ridiculous. Because, you know, it's just when, when you know, I, I don't want to be bitter, and I'm so happy for... Kelly Marie Tran. I'm so happy for Kelly Marie Tran. But, you know, at the end of the day, how many people are going to win the lottery before, you know, I get I get a $5 scratch off? You know I what do. I mean? When do you think you'll be able to reveal your identity? When this Never! Film? Never? Well, not now. Not now that I've been shamed in front of a whole Star Wars audience by the director by saying there was only one woman who could play this role. There you have it. Another exciting... I can't believe an it. ...an informative chapter of the ongoing... I'll tell you what happened. I'll tell you everything that happened in that audition. I went in, and it, no one gave a shit. <laughs> that's what happened. That's the real story. I went in, I did my best, and no one gave a shit. Thank you, Starship One. Thanks for having me, Matt. Hi, I'm Chris Gethard, and I'm the host of a show called In Your Dreams. I had a dream that I was in my basement, and I very enthusiastically cut off my left hand alongside my very good friend and dream analyst gary richardson this was a show where we started off we said we we're going to analyze dreams we said people could call in let us know about their dreams and we'd break them down when i do have dreams um i call them like reality mares that dream made me want to throw up <laughs> that was disgusting but i'll say pretty much right out of the gate things got a little crazy what are we doing? What the hell is this? You're gonna put a fucking mattress ahead of our friendship? Find out what went down. Walk into the heart of darkness with us. It's like my personal apocalypse now. Listen to In Your Dreams, very kindly presented by the folks at Casper. It's only on Earwolf. It's one of the things I'm most proud of. Comedically, I think it's uh, pretty strange, pretty funny, and I think you will enjoy it. Thanks so much. Yeah. 
This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.